0: Welcome to Glass Houses, a Billy Joel podcast. I'm Michael Grosvenor. And I'm Jack Frinino. Join us as we dig deep into Billy Joel's songs and history and what his music has meant to us.
1: In the mid-80s, Billy Joel penned the lyric after 1986, What Else Could Be New?, If you were to judge that based on his 1989
0: hit, We Didn't Start the Fire, you'd think he meant it. But a closer look at that video and the others from the Stormfront album suggest otherwise. For this episode, we're looking at Eye of the Storm. Released in 1990, it's a home video collection of the videos from the multi-platinum album Stormfront. While that album contained many songs about
1: personal relationships and Billy's life, the videos focused much more on the world at
0: large at the end of the 1980s. We'll dig deep into the five music videos, and we'll take a look at a soundcheck and radio broadcast recording from Early in the Stormfront Tour. Join us as we dig deep
1: into Eye of the Storm and more.
0: And next we're going to bring back a little feature we did a couple months ago. This is called, I'm going to need that drum roll and turn up the reverb if you could please. Ask a young person. We have Olivia back with us as of this recording. She's graduating high school in two days, but by the time this comes out, she'll have been graduated for about a month, but we have her back on because we have another Billy Joel sighting in pop music. And this is in the song Deja Vu by Olivia Rodrigo. In this song, she makes mention of Billy Joel and Uptown Girl a couple times in the song in two verses. And the reason why I brought Olivia on is because I have a feeling that this is a real like kind of TikTok kind of song because Olivia said to me a couple weeks ago, she's noticing how bands write songs for TikTok now. Based on what she described, this seems like this could be one of them. So, Olivia, tell me what you mean, like when you say a band writes a song for
2: TikTok. I've noticed because I spend a lot of time on TikTok and I spend a lot of time listening to music. There will be sections of songs, 15 seconds to like 30 seconds that are very loopable and very repeatable to dance to or to make jokes of, which is part of the reason why Zanzibar trended, because there was jokes to be made out of and there were dances to be made from it. Something I've noticed and the reason why I stopped listening to a couple of bands just because it got old, listening to manufactured music. 30-second song for TikTok.
0: So I have clearly passed all my my rock snobbery to (laughs) Olivia. (laughs) who's got about 10 more years of driving everybody nuts before she gets out of that. <laughs> well, <not> least. <laughs> the thing I notice about this song is it, there's like a whole bunch of like kind of little bite-sized nostalgia points. Like she talks about like watching reruns of Glee and stuff like that. And so the two Billy Joel... I don't like this song as much as I've liked some other contemporary songs, but I kind of think the concept of it's kind of cool. So like it's this girl and she's talking about all this stuff. Her ex-boyfriend must clearly be doing with her. Yeah. Must clearly be doing with her new girlfriend. Um, and then the hook is kind of like, well, did you ever tell her that we did these things first? Which I think is, you know, it's not T.S. Eliot, but it's, it's clever enough for a pop song. <laughs> you know, lyrically certainly different, but I feel like I've heard
1: that kind of theme in, in a pop song over the years.
0: Yeah, you know, it's one of those things, we've heard it before, but I think, you know, every generation has to have their batch of songs that do all the things that our songs did, because they're not going to listen to them. Right, Olivia... I think you mentioned another Olivia Rodrigo song the last time you were on, am I correct?
2: I did, uh, Driver's License, which is from the same album. This is her debut album. She's trended on TikTok a lot. January 2020, she trended because a song she did for a Disney Channel show blew up about like romance, then Driver's License blew up, and now a bunch of songs from Sour, her new album, is blowing up on the platform. Uh, and is this
0: one getting big, too? Or is this one we just kind of keyed into because it's got Billy Joel references? <laughs>
2: uh, it's kind of big. They kind of used it when it was released as a single to show off inverted filter. And like they would look up when she was singing. But like it wasn't used as the way, say, Brutal from the same albums used because it has a very Brutal has a very distinct line where it's like, God, it's Brutal out here. So people use that line in mm-hmm. their videos.
0: What's the inverted filter?
2: It's a filter. You tap it and it flips the video so people will go and see how <laughs> symmetrical or asymmetrical they were.
1: I'll have to check I that I see what out. you mean. Okay. So it'll take like one side of their
0: face, mirror it. Is that, is that oh, what you mean? Oh, okay. No, no? it no? would like
2: completely flip the video. So you would-
0: Like a mirror image? Yeah. Oh, okay. okay. So you
2: would line yourself up and then tap really quickly, <laughs> see how symmetrical you were. Symmetrical? Yes. Yes. Symmetrical much.
0: <laughs> I may no longer be a rock snob, but now I'm a, now I'm a grammar hound. <laughs> so, <laughs> mm-hmm.
1: I I will tell you this: I've a I uh, do a lot of our Twitter presence, and I've got <laughs> saved searches with the term Billy Joel that I'm always checking to see. Much like when Zanzibar hit the last couple weeks, month or so, it's like eighty percent of the tweets I'm finding with the word Billy Joel are quoting that song. Yeah,
0: that <laughs> tracks. <laughs> All right. So one more thing I want to say about this song is uh, I think, and somebody's going to have to give this a listen, and I guess we're not going to like risk putting this audio on the podcast because that, that might cause a problem, but check out the chorus around, I think, a minute and 30 in. Uh, I was very excited at first because I thought these were live drums. But now I'm actually fairly convinced that they're sampled from I Am Trying to Break Your Heart by Wilco. So somebody else is going to have to give it a listen and let me know if I'm right. Livy, what did you think when I played those two?
2: They're similar, but like Olivia Rodrigo track, it's definitely masked by like the sound effect. I'm not a drummer. Or musician, so I don't have the ear for it.
0: Well, well, Olivia, thank you once again for coming by. And this has been another installment of... You want to say it together with me?
2: Yeah. Ask, Ask a, a young, young person. person.
0: i tell you what, jumping into this one, I have not watched these videos oh, in a long, long time. And to be honest with you, I remember them as being cheesy. I, I do not think that anymore. I actually really, really enjoyed this uh, rewatch. I mean it really hit the nostalgia button for me, and I'll kind of get into why later. Mm-hmm. But on top of that, I think these were really well done. I think this was kind of his peak in terms of figuring out how to put himself in a music video without being goofy.
1: The Stormfront era, specifically the videos for this album, he really turned a corner and the videos had a little bit more edge to them and were a little bit more cinematic in the way they were produced. You know, a matter of trust was A little cheesy, but it was a fun performance style video. (laughs) But these these videos, all super different and well done for how each of them are.
0: And I have some thoughts on the overarching theme to the way they strung these together for the Eye of the Storm package. But before we get to that, let's read a couple letters. And we have the return of an installment that we did a few months ago as well.
1: This first email is from Remy Simno about our 12 Gardens Live episode. He writes, Hey guys, just listening to the 12 Gardens Live episode of the podcast. I've been listening for the last four or five months after I stumbled upon the podcast. Y'all do an excellent job. Every episode is well thought out and prepared. The dialogue back and forth works very well and is easy to listen to. I was surprised how much I enjoyed the episode with Young Ki Ju. It was very entertaining. I've probably seen Billy about 20 times. I became a big fan in 1989 when I was 13. The first time that I saw him was on the River of Dreams tour at the Louisiana Superdome. Some of the most memorable shows for me. I was at both Shea's Stadium shows, two Jazz Fest concerts, Wrigley Field on the face-to-face tour, and about five times at MSG. When he opened up the Tony Awards from Times Square, I happened to be in NYC and I watched him perform. When he opened up the Tony Awards live from Times Square, I happened to be in NYC and watched him perform. He probably played for about 20 minutes, warming up with songs from his youth. I remember him singing Drifter's songs. I believe someone has some footage of that on YouTube. Anyway, to wrap up, a great memory for me was going to two MSG 12 Gardens live shows in March 2006. I landed from my flight from New Orleans, where I live, and went straight to MSG to pick up my ticket from Will Call for the show. It was going to be two days later. I believe March sixth, I got the ticket from Max Lubrier, Billy's tour manager. Max and I have a mutual friend. That's how I got in touch with him. I recall speaking to Max briefly on the phone. He said that he would have a ticket for me. I was so eager to see where the seat was that I went to MSG when I got to NYC. Coincidentally, Billy was also playing that evening when I landed. I go to Will Call to get my ticket and the guy working the table said that I would have to come back the night of the concert to get my ticket. I was kind of bummed for a moment. The gentleman said, hey, this ticket here was for a lady who can't make it tonight. You can have it. I walked into MSG and saw the show for free. I remember calling my dad and saying, you'll never believe this. I'm sitting at Madison Square Garden right now. One of Billy's people just gave me a free ticket. Sorry for the long message. Just wanted to share my 12 Gardens live story. Y'all take care and let me know if you ever make it to New Orleans. Keep up the great work. Rennie Simno.
0: Awesome, Rennie. Thanks so much. And uh, to you and anyone else, don't ever apologize for a long message. No. Michael, I don't know about you, but I love long emails.
1: It's usually a sign of a great story, and this email is a
0: perfect example of that. I love that Randy got to see two shows out of this, too. Especially that little dip in the story, that low point, you know, very cinematic. <laughs> had he gotten somebody different, had he
1: gotten there 20 minutes later, that may have nev- never happened. That wouldn't have worked. Yeah,
0: yeah it's true. I'd, lo- I'd love to hear from Rennie again for two reasons. Um, one, I would love to know if seeing him in different cities and in different kind of formats meant the performances were different. Like, you know, so Rennie says he saw him twice at Jazz Fest concerts. So that's like a festival. So I'm wondering how he's approaching... Uh, an audience that's more diverse in in terms of musical tastes and people that he knows are there to see him. You know, also how it felt being at the Shea Stadium shows, being that they were big events. Uh, Wrigley Field, seeing him in the Midwest. Well, you've seen him out there too. Yeah, a lot of Michigan shows in Chicago as well. Rennie saw him twice for the 12 Gardens live run. I'm curious to know what it was like night to night, if the performances were kind of very lockstep or if they were a little looser, things like that.
1: Yeah, I wonder too if Billy made any kind of announcement or there were signs posted that this concert was being recorded. Was there ever any mention of that during the show?
0: So Rennie, uh, thanks again for the great email. Hit us back when you hear this. And the second message we have is from Drew Richardson. And this was a Facebook comment from embarrassingly nine weeks ago, as I'm looking at it now. And I wanted to make a point of reading this one because, Drew, I'm real sorry we haven't gotten back to you. You wrote us a great message, and I at least remember that I read it, like, first thing in the morning. And I was like, wow, this this message is really cool. I got to get back to him. And then, you know, the day got away from me, and then the week got away from me, and then apparently two months or so got away from me. But I had it in the back of my head the whole time, and, and while we were getting set up tonight, I remembered to... To search back through our comments and posts and, and find it so this was right after the river of dreams episode we did back on march 16th and drew writes so i'm a bit behind but i'm just now getting to this episode as a non-musician i really appreciate your expertise in the way you explain things it's just a little over my head which is good because it stretches me and teaches me things i'm a high school teacher and we are always reaching for that sweet spot where you are just a little above your student's head, but not so much that they can't possibly understand. That's how I feel with this pod. I am really learning a lot about how songs are put together and how they work musically. I'm pretty good with lyrics and that side of things, but really appreciate learning how the music is working to affect emotion.
1: Wow, that's a great message. Thank you so much for that. You know, we're we're just talking from a place of passion, so I've never really given it a thought of being an expert on the matter. It's just a lifetime of listening to the music and <laughs> following his career. So it never occurred to me that someone would look at our conversations like this, but, uh, I appreciate that.
0: Yeah. I appreciate it a lot too. It's one of those things where, you know, for all the work we put in, it's, it's really something when somebody can really highlight something we didn't realize we were doing. So that's really cool. I'm, and I'm glad that people are getting that dimension from it too, that it's not just us kind of giving our memories or going through some trivia. So that's awesome, Drew. hope you're still listening. We hope to hear from you again soon.
1: Absolutely. And that's going to do it for our emails and messages on this episode. And we've got a couple things here to dive into on this episode. One is the Billy Joel Eye of the Storm video, as well as a great soundcheck performance jam that
0: was recently unearthed that we uh, went through a little bit tonight. So let's start with Eye of the Storm. And... I want to go ahead and hit my nostalgia button first and sort of get this out of the way. Because it's... I don't know. I think it's kind of interesting, but it's probably the least interesting thing we'll say about it. Uh, I think I've mentioned before that uh, I used to listen to Billy Joel with my cousins all the time, and they got me into them. And my Aunt Annie had a double VCR, and she was like the person in the family with the double VCR. And when I used to come over, they used to rent Billy Joel Volumes 1 and Volumes 2, the videos, and we would watch them. And eventually... She just rented them, hooked up the double VCR and taped them for me. But she also put Eye of a Storm on the beginning of it. I hadn't seen like any of those yet. So that was a great surprise when I got the tape. And I was like, oh man, look, this, there's more videos. This is cool. Wow. And you know, at this point, you know, I, I had been like just listening to Stormfront Like all the way through, constantly. Like my parents had it on CD. I couldn't reach the CD player, so it was a big you got to go put the thing on," you know. (laughs) Yeah. And I would just sit there read the book through the entire album, you know. And so that was really cool. And now I haven't watched the Eye of the Storm package in a while. You know, it's a 26 minute video with some um, with some stock footage, so to speak, interspersed. And so that gives it a different experience altogether. And so watching this again today, man, I was like. Wow, (laughs) like I just I just remember being 9 or 10 years old again.
1: Billy's official YouTube channel put the entire full video up there, even the Columbia Music video intro logo at the beginning. And I tell you what, when I saw that spinning logo, that spinning CMV logo, with the little sound effects, it, it took me right back to watching this back then.
0: Yeah, that was such, it was always a moment that just heralded what was about to come, Yeah, you know, be it that or any other home video like that.
1: On the YouTube channel, it's the full VHS tape, and it's actually labeled Billy Joel, Eye of the Storm, and then it says Stormfront EPK. Now, what that stands for is Electronic Press Kit. Billy had one for the River Mm. of Dreams album. He did one for the Bridge album called Building the Bridge. And what it is, it's a promotional video, essentially, to promote a new record.
0: I always had a bootleg copy, and I see you have the, the actual VHS, the official one. The paid for one in your hand. <laughs> I do. This copy is actually still sealed. Yeah, Billy's looking pretty hip on this one. He's got the leather jacket, the glasses. He's kind of got his arms folded. he's almost like, you know, hugging himself. Yep. 80s rapper style.
1: <laughs> this feels like it may be... Around the That's Not Her Style photo shoot, there was a photo shoot for that single where he looked pretty similar. And there are several photos like this that are inside the Stormfront tour book as well. I know what you're talking about. That's like the almost risque one. Yeah, with the naked woman sitting on the chair behind backwards.
2: And you can see her butt. <gasps> Some versions <laughs> it
1: has a censored thing. There's a shot of Billy like and her both standing, but you uh-huh. don't see their feet, and it's because Billy is standing on a couple phone books.
0: I'm really excited to talk about these videos, but I want to talk about, obviously, the, the intro, which is to Stormfront the song, and it's this montage of archival footage of various storms, weather tracking systems, things like that, catastrophic storms, you know, uh, flooding, And, you know, I got to say, man, it sounds cheesy. It's not. It it was done really well. The lightning strikes, especially, they really cut them to the rhythm of the song exceptionally well, I thought.
1: It could have gone cheesy. You're absolutely right about that. But it worked really well. And the choice of the footage that they use, and I just like the different types of footage and the color choices. It just all worked really well together that could have you know had they chose something else it could have either been really bland or really cheesy and it didn't do either of those things i thought the choices for the stock footage was
0: really great they were really great and what i appreciate about it now is that you know the public didn't have access to any of this you know this is my usual old man rant about back in my day we didn't have youtube but it's It's true, you know, if you were ever morbidly curious, you could always find this sort of footage out there today. The other thing that the archival footage does in tandem with the song selection here, it casts this album in a very different light and it shows you that there's thematically two albums here. Okay, I don't know about you, but for the most part, I've always seen Stormfront as a pretty personal album. Not quite as personal as River of Dreams, but certainly more personal than, well, earlier albums. We know that's not her style. State of Grace, and and so it goes, are all personal songs. And they're also troubled songs. I kind of see When in Rome in the same vein. You know, yeah. I get the feeling that it's 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 him kind of not keeping up with the jet set anymore, as well as he used to, maybe. Like he's, t- like he's tired of it. Well, okay, conjecture, but, you know, it seems... If the song is autobiographical, it seems like he's recognizing that Christy does a better job with it than he does, you know? right? Right, <laughs> or she's agreed. more keyed into it. So here's what happens, though: we don't get those songs. We don't even get "That's Not Our Style," which was a single. We get three very topical, sociological songs. We get "Down Easter Alexa." We get "We Didn't Start the Fire" on "Leningrad." We start these three with this, you know, with this storm footage. And it really casts the other half of this album, which is really about, guess how turbulent it was in 89, which you don't think it was, but I mean, certainly not by today's standards.
1: (laughs) Yeah. And then, well, his his life was getting pretty turbulent, you know? Yeah. This was when the Frank Weber thing really was happening. He was really struggling. Mm -hmm. And look, he was clearly at a place in his career where he was struggling because, listen, he's like, he felt like he was pigeonholed more than ever, you know? Billy Joel and his band and his producer. Look at he shed mm-hmm. Phil Ramone, Russell Javers, Doug Stegmeyer, yeah. gone from the band. All, Dave LeBolt gone for the band. All these guys were no longer with them. That's a big personal change. And so between the Frank Weber stuff, the band shakeup, and the forthcoming ending of the marriage
0: between Billy and Christy, things weren't great. And so that leads us into Down Easter Alexa. Now, it seems to me that this is sort of a divisive song. I happen to always like this one. I know some Billy Joel fans that emphatically do not like it.
1: Yeah, which surprises me. I love this song as well. I think his voice is incredible going up high there. It's such a different feel and it's such a different groove than any other Billy Joel song, and it just moves along so
0: well. We've said before that he's done his best lyrically when he's writing from some sort of genuine or autobiographical standpoint. Like when we went back to Street Life Serenade, we said how Weekend Song didn't work because he never worked a nine to five job and he wasn't grasping the nuances of it. Now, clearly, you know, by this time he had a boat, he always loved being out on the water, but he was never really a fisherman. So he was really stepping into someone else's shoes and you felt like he did a good job of it. It felt real. For people that actually don't like this song too much, I think the video really puts it together well. It's not overdone, it's got a documentary feel to it. The band is there, but they're all in the background, sort of Billy included. It really focuses on on the people they're talking about. I love the moment where he says, I was a bay man like my father was before, and it shows the older fishermen, Just so perfectly cut to that. And then, you know, rhythmically, see now, this is why I didn't finish film school. So, you know, it's not stock footage. It's not archival footage, like documentary footage. Like, it seems like they just went out there and they just filmed them for a while. I would venture to say they really didn't give them any direction, the the fishermen. It was fly on the wall type of. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Cinema Verite, if you will. yeah (laughs) But not really. I love the use of the band in the video. It's
1: obviously Billy with an accordion and the other three band members, you have Liberty it looks like he's playing like a field drum. Got a ball cap yeah. on. Got David Brown with an acoustic guitar. And then Crystal mm-hmm. with an acoustic guitar as well. The use of them is so subtle. The way it cuts back and forth between Billy, the three of them individually, and the footage that they have of the sea and the different fishermen. It just all weaves together so well to where it doesn't jump out. So coming out of the video, we go into some more stock footage this is a lot of heavy wind and rain you also hear it too you can get a sense and a feel of it and it just segues right into the beginning of we didn't start the fire
0: what's always funny about we didn't start the fire is technically there shouldn't be a sense of conflict in there but there sort of is there's some sort of tension to it the chorus is is, it's kind of nonsense (laughs) chorus aside the video takes it home the video as a concept this is a great freaking video man this is really really cool so for those of you who haven't seen I love this man I forgot about this The verses all take place in a kitchen. Billy Joel is there but he's clearly no one can see him and right. it starts with a young husband and a wife in what looks like the late 40s coming in and the you know the husband's carrying the wife over the threshold and they're in their wedding clothes and as he sings, a series of cuts they grow older their styles change the kitchen style changes everything until it goes into the 80s and then what we guess they thought what the future was going to look like back in the 80s you know <laughs> which nope <laughs> can't can't blame them they never get it right but uh, right never happens <laughs> and here's what i thought was very interesting about this now the choruses were a little cheesy it was just billy at a table and there's fire behind them of course and they had very famous historical photographs behind Molly saying we didn't start the fire and that's what you expected was going to happen and what speaks to this idea I'm having about how this is two albums half of its personal half of its sociological Is that there were no characters in this song? But the bulk of the song when he's talking about the actual things that happen You're seeing a family grow up and you're being reminded that this stuff was going on around people You know around everybody you were growing yeah. up with this stuff now I gotta say this again because I don't know what happened this morning, man. Just I, I shouldn't have like woken up and started reading the news because it was, I feel like it was a it was a, it was a low key rough one today. You know what I mean? <laughs> I can't remember everything. It was just another one of those like you woke up. I, I don't know when this is gonna go out, but we're recording this June eighth, and you know the story this morning was the New York Times and a couple other websites were taken down. You know went down for a while, and right. you know the first thing you're like, oh, Jesus, we they got they got hacked. This is getting heavy. Who did it? You know. And some other political stuff, which I'm not even going to get into because I don't want to. And I, I was really thinking about this today. I'm like, you know, you wake up in the morning, you read all this stuff that's going on. It's beyond the pale. Everything that's happening today, you know, no matter what you think of it, what you agree with and what you disagree with, I think it all come together and be like, we're off the map right now, <laughs> you know, right. all yeah. things considered. And what did I do today? I said, okay put on my clothes I worked I ran some errands I talked to some people about booking some shows and now we're recording a podcast and there's a little piece of that that makes you feel like you're rearranging deck chairs on the Titanic you know (laughs) right but really what it is is man you know all this stuff's happening and we're all just living through it we're all just going about our day to day yeah. And I think that's really what you get out of this video that he's talking about all these things happening You know everything post-World War 2 which they must have felt like they were off the damn map as well And yet the focus is on this family getting older. Did you ever happen to notice? Sometimes the couple looked happy and sometimes they looked a little annoyed with each other. I thought that was a brilliant touch you see the honeymoon phase
1: and then the stress in and out and then you know, the parents can't identify with the kids and they're struggling with that. It really felt real, you know, the journey of
0: a family. And it was even like a point, you know, maybe a few stanzas into the first verse, you know, after the honeymoon, the husband kind of throws an annoyed look at the wife and you think like it's going to go downhill, but it doesn't. And then, you know, then they're happy again. And then he's pissed off later on. And she's like, oh, I can't take this or whatever else. Yeah.
1: she's taking her pills and yeah.
0: yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And she's playing the little violin. That's uh, I guess that that was what? Mother's little helper. Right. That's like the stone song. One of the actresses in the
1: video is somebody that we've talked about before on the podcast. Did you spot her? I did not. Marley Matlin is in the video. Who's she in the video? The hippie, the woman like burning the bra, smoking up, sliding down the wall. That's that's Marley Matlin. She's a well-known actress. Uh, she's deaf. That's you know one oh, thing she's whoa, known as. from Sesame this. Street. Yeah, she was on the Sesame Street episode. You know, oh, wow, that's Seinfeld, a cool cameo. The West Wing. You know. Those oh, she was well. the
0: one on Seinfeld. Too? Oh, that's so funny! Remember the lip reader? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and you really and you really put the nail on the head that there's those moments where the parents and the daughter can't connect, or the mom and the daughter can't connect, but they're both getting stoned, right? Isn't that a funny little thing to think of? They're both they're both <laughs> getting inebriated to try and deal with it. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah. Oh, <laughs> that that's a nice little touch. Yeah. I remember watching a video with Billy uh, right around when this album came out and he spoke about the video. I haven't been able to find it. I had it on VHS years ago, but, uh, you know, he mentioned that it was pretty much like we talked about where everything in your life revolved around the kitchen. And Mm -hmm. so he felt that would be the best way to illustrate the change over time as all of the lyrics were unfolding. If you think about like the Wonder Years, it kind of reminds me of that. You know, where it's mm-hmm. like all the different shots of the family around the kitchen. And they always had like the news on in the background.
0: I don't know what to make of the end when like, you know, the world is burning around it. I feel like it's a statement on family. They're like everything else yeah. can burn, ar- burn up around you. But even with the father having passed away, they're still all together and they're kind of unscathed.
1: That was one part I felt just was a little odd that they had like the casket in the kitchen.
0: Okay. Okay. I'll give you this. It was the 80s. So it was the death of... The kitchen being the focal point of the house. I, off that's, the top of my head. I, I could see that. I, I mean, it's some it. horse shit, but I'll run with it. Here's what yeah. I find interesting. Now, the next interstitial is just photos. They're stills, and they're black and white like the others, but you actually hear the clicking going by. Like a slideshow. That brings us into Leningrad. Now, what I really liked about that is uh, in two ways one, in terms of the pacing and the tone of the presentation, it brings it down. To what's really the most poignant song on the album, without a doubt. And it also sets you up for this idea that we're going back in history now. It was more of a history lesson, I want to say, but clearly so was We Didn't Start the Fire. But it definitely puts you in that place of really like, we're not moving forward right now. We're going to go backwards. We're going to remember sitting in class and and watching history, and, and your teacher's going to show you these clips. And whoever gave a damn about the clips, you know what I mean? Right. are always boring. But right. the song
1: is so much more. This was... A history lesson like you said in many ways but
0: also super personal I said this last summer when we were doing the Russia tour and I'll say it again this is I think this is gonna be an important song right now I think people should just listen to it and think about it to be perfectly honest with you when
1: they were getting ready to embark on the Russian tour by and large people in America were pretty hostile about it and you know as Liberty said he's like you know Billy was like hey We're people, we're gonna go over there and play for people. Our governments hate each other, but I'm pretty sure the people don't hate us and they proved it absolutely to be true. Everyone I've talked to who made that trip said that was one of the best experiences of their time working with Billy. They had such incredible memories and met some of the most amazing people. What I love that that really illustrates that. It's like, you know, we never knew what friends we had until we came to
0: Leningrad. It's a line that should be real schmaltzy and it's just not. I came up with this as I was watching it, and I was—I had to go back and test my theory, and I was so surprised that I was right. So it's called Eye of the Storm, and you know, as we all know the Eye of the Storm, you, you imagine it to be in the middle of the storm, and it's also the calmest point, right? You know, because it's when this is happening. I shit you not, the picture of Victor in his clown makeup is almost perfectly halfway through this presentation. He is literally the calm in the middle of the storm is is victor as a clown entertaining little children right in the middle that is literally when you talk about the eye of the storm as this whole presentation it's victor
1: if they planned it that's amazing likely they didn't and the fact that it just fell there that's perfect
0: yeah great use of archival footage here archival footage from the 50s but also the footage that they took amateur footage mostly it looks like in russia some
1: of that you saw interspersed throughout the documentary you know, Victor with the clown paint and the unforgettable shot of Victor and Billy embracing as they're about to head home. And Victor is just so broken up that they're
0: leaving. And the performance parts in this, and this is so in contrast with the next video, but so tastefully done for a late eighties video in a room with neon lights is somehow very tasteful and appropriate to the song. Mostly black, obviously with Billy's wardrobe, the piano,
1: but there's some red in there to give it a little bit of color contrast and also ties into the uh, album colors.
0: So I want to point out here before we get into I Go To Extremes that by this point, what a great job these videos do of finally finding the right place for Billy and really expanding on the songs. I feel like this is in one sense what these videos should do, what any music video should do. I mean, you know, you have some songs like Olivia was saying today, kids write for TikTok or bands write for TikTok. Back then, the problem was bands wrote for music videos. And if, you know, you had a song that was clearly for the music video, the music video was pretty good. You know, you get into an innocent man, like, I get a kick out of keeping the faith and stuff like that, but, like, yeah, he's not quite comfortable doing that stuff. You know, you can kind of tell. Especially, like, Uptown Girl would be sort of the peak of, like, it. it kind he kind of made it work. So, you know, these videos, you know, they do a good job of, um of really expressing the song more than the performer. And that's really what happens in these three videos.
1: Contrast to that, we're, yeah, we're going into the next video. Uh, the interstitial here is a lot of tornado action, if I remember. Yeah. So now we're building the tempo back up here. You go from the quiet to the violent. That jumps into the I Go To Extremes video. The cover of Eye of the Storm, Billy is dressed pretty similarly. The, the shades and the
0: leather jacket. I think if this was the only video, I'd have been more into it. But yeah. coming off those three like really well-done concept videos, this one's just okay. Mark Rivera's playing timbales, and there's no timbales on the song. He's just sitting there clacking on the side. Giving him something to do. David Brown has some nice moves in this one.
1: Yeah, he did. They did quite a few shots of Liberty and Crystal. Um, they had Mindy Jostin, who was in the band for a short period of time around the uh, start of the
0: Stormfront tour. She was the other mm-hmm. guitar player in the video. Definitely the most frenetic. Certainly yep. the closest you're going to get to live at Yankee Stadium in terms of MTV cuts, we'll call them.
1: Yeah, that's what the editing style really reminded me of. Fast camera movements
0: all over the place and mm-hmm. super quick edits. And then they were doing stuff where like, you know, the the once again, I never finished film school, so... <laughs> You know, you had that thing where, like, you know, if you had the whole screen, the action was was happening. Like, the box would be smaller, and then most of the screen would be white. Almost like Willy Wonka, you know, the Ooppa Right. Yeah, there's that subtle moment at the end where he, uh, where he like, breaks the piano. Like, he just smears the keys, and they all fall off. It was, I, I always liked that, because it was like, blinking, you miss it, you know? It didn't draw too much attention
1: to it, but it was pretty amusing. The song is a high-energy song, so it definitely felt like they were playing along with a lot of energy. They're all in a
0: pretty tight space too. Which has to be funny because, you know, when you're looking at the room, you're extrapolating that they must have been packed in with a lot of open space around them. And it cuts between Billy playing piano and
1: just singing. He's not at the piano the whole time. And there's a couple spots where he drags the mic
0: over and he's like holding it in between his arms while he's playing and singing. I think his dancing is actually, or his antics, are actually pretty good here. I think he finally figured out how to sort of dial that in for a video. Because he never really looked natural. You know, when we talked about Houston 79, uh, we saw how a lot of his dance moves seemed embryonic to what finally happened on Live from Long Island. When he got to I Go to Extremes, he's sort of jumping around because he's not at a piano. and He's got to do something with his hands and something with his legs. And this really feels like the first time he knew what to do with his limbs in a dancing That's capacity true. in a video. <laughs> Especially yeah. when he couldn't just jump around. Because, you know, a lot of what he does on stage, he's, he jumps off something. He kind of, you know, And left one of my favorites, when he's hopping down the runway, you know, in oh, time yeah. with, I think it's Big Shot. You give him a wide berth, he'll use it. But he's not dancing. You know, this he's yeah. kind of gyrating and it's, it doesn't look like uh, the Elaine dance. That's two Sightful That's Seinfeld not dancing, references. Sally.
2: I mean we were having so much fun. I mean we were whining, we were dining, we were dancing.
0: What? What? It's dancing. No, that ain't dancing, Sally. I dance fine. You stink. Billy seems to age about ten years, going from the end of I Go To Extremes into the live footage of Danny Alexa. He looks like a very different Billy on stage here. Yeah, yeah his he his hair is a little poofed out. Yeah, I mean he's probably halfway through a tour, certainly halfway through a show. He's certainly well into a tour here. This is another very egoless video. There's only crowd noise in two spots, the very end and after the Jean-Luc Ponty guitar up. Uh, Jesus. Jean-Luc. Pon- <laughs> I always said, said the Jean-Luc Ponty guitar solo, and Michael's like miming a violin for me. <laughs> uh, it's the same violin the, the, the mother in We Didn't Start the Fire was playing when she was stoned. That's right. That's my trivia I'm making up. Obviously, they have the option of piping in crowd sounds or using some crowd sounds, and they don't. They really let the song breathe. And I think they do it for two reasons. One, it's a song about a topic that's very important to Billy. And two, they had a world-famous jazz violinist on stage with them and i think they cut out all the extra noise to make sure that they documented this moment
1: having too much crowd noise in the mix would have distracted from the song
0: so i think they picked their moments well with it you go back to songs in the attic even when they didn't have the crowd noise coming in you felt like you were in a big room you know just a as a production choice you can you could make it sound huge even if you're in a small
1: room (laughs) agreed
0: they made the big room sound
1: tiny and this was about two months prior to the yankee stadium shows And I was reading an interview a while back with Tommy Burns, and he mentioned this series of shows in L.A. were his first shows with Billy because he didn't start the Stormfront tour. He joined in the spring here. Why was there a replacement? If I had to venture a guess, there was that Mindy Jostin who was in the band. You know, she was in the extremes video. She did the first bit of the tour. She's in the tour book. She played violin, I believe she played some guitar. Hmm. So she was kind of the auxiliary guitar player. I don't know why, but at some point she left the tour. And
0: I think that opened the door for adding another guitar player. I wonder if that's why they also got Jean-Luc as a... Uh, we're assuming he was a guest, right? He wasn't like on the road with them or anything. Because they
1: had somebody different at Yankee Stadium. They had Lisa Germano playing the violin solo. So they've had different folks sit in. Yeah, it just says Stormfront Tour 8990. I don't know how long of it, much of the tour she did. And so let me give you a little bit of uh just a rundown on the personnel on stage i know we just touched on it a little bit but we had obviously billy joel we had liberty DeVito on drums david brown on lead guitar tommy burns making his first appearance with billy on rhythm guitar you had crystal Taliaferro on percussion mark Rivera obviously skylar deal on bass jeff jacobs on keyboards and obviously as jack mentioned jean-luc ponty on violin and you know i like skylar deal with billy I thought he was a good I mean Doug was certainly irreplaceable but I liked what Skyler brought to the band the edge and the the groove of the funkiness that he brought to the Stormfront era you know it would have been nice to see him continue on after this
0: but I think he was done after the uh Boathouse sessions you've inspired me to go back and listen to the live from Yankee Stadium which I have not watched or listened to in a very long time just because I want to hear you know what he does with those songs now that you mention it. And that
1: will be an upcoming episode, so that'll be some good research.
0: That pretty much brings us to the end of the video. I do like that the stock footage over the credits is the Earth, and it just gets further and further away. You know, maybe I'm getting way too heady on this, but it works so well because the videos start going into the eye of the storm, like going down as far as you can, and then by the time you get to the credits, you're just fading all the way back out. Yeah, I liked it. It was simple, but it worked. That's what I've really come to like about doing these close watches and close listens, especially these videos, be it the concert footage or the Shades of Grey documentary, you and I have seen these things a million times. You know, we're not looking for the, oh, and this is what happens in the video. Like, I can probably tell you every moment. I remember the differences of Jean-Luc Ponty's violin solo. I remember the the first moment he does something and I go, wow, wait, that that wasn't like it was on the album. You know, we sit there and we watch these things and and this there's so much craft to what you think is even something that's not necessarily slapdash, but what you might think was an afterthought, like, oh, yeah, let's just put some storm footage in here. Like, no, somebody right. really put some thought into it. Just like, you know, John Small did this thing at Chase Stadium where it's the biggest venue and this momentous occasion, and he keeps giving you little behind-the-curtain peaks, which we yes. don't see in other videos. Makes me wonder what's going to happen when we do get to the live from Yankee Stadium. If I'm Mm going to find anything there, if I'm going to be like, oh, I'm an old man and this is just crappy MTV cuts. (laughs) Yeah, I can't wait because I
1: I watched that one so much because that was 1990 that was filmed. So early 90s, I wore that thing out because it was the first... Concert footage of the '90s. You know, we had live from Long Island, live in Leningrad, and then again the, from the Stormfront tour, live at Yankee Stadium. So, what was that? Every about every four or five years was a new concert footage during that time. I get it. You know, things are edited based on the style of the day. So, I, yeah. you know, but I'm looking forward to reflecting on it 30 years removed.
0: So that's our trip down memory lane with I of the Storm.
1: I have the storm was actually released. I was able to find what I think is a pretty close release date on it. It ended up coming out May 22nd, 1990. I'm hoping that's close. And it came out on Columbia Music Video Enterprises. One funny little thing is I always like the hype stickers to see how they're trying to sell it. I have the storm. The sticker on it reads includes the number one hit. We didn't start the fire plus live version of the Downeaster Alexa. You know, I'm a collector. I've got a lot of different pressings of the vinyl. And Mm -hmm. depending on which pressing you have, the hype sticker is different. Like an innocent man initially says 10 new songs featuring da-da-da. And then eventually it's like the triple platinum album featuring the smash hits. You know, it's like, you know, (laughs) by now it had sold a couple million. It was a huge record. So they they angled it differently to try and sell it to people who still hadn't bought it by some chance.
0: So from there, we're going to go... Away from video and purely audio. And this is a sound check
1: recording from the Nassau Coliseum on Long Island. December 27th,
0: 1989 is the date listed. A couple of days ago, which will be a couple of weeks ago by the time this airs, or by the time we publish it, upload it, whatever we do these days, a fella on the Billy Joel Ritual page named Dwayne Arena posted links where you could download this audio. So this is a pretty interesting find. It's two sound checks. Most of it's from December 27th, 1989. There's a couple tracks at the end, which we think is from, I guess, the bridge tour. The bridge tour is my guess based
1: on the personnel.
0: This was a sound check that was broadcast live on WBAB in New York. It was at the Nassau Coliseum.
1: WBAB is 102.3 out there on Long island based out of Babylon. That's where the Radio station is licensed, but I think the station
0: ID mentions Babylon and Freeport. I've never really heard of this being a thing because it's w- way informal. So it's technically 34 songs, but it's the sound check. So they're really just screwing around as, you know, yeah. Brian Ruggles, we assume, and whomever else is getting levels. And the radio station came out and <laughs> kind of chatted with Billy in between when he was needed on stage, I guess. And they just broadcast this thing.
1: It is very informal and there's a lot of kind of dead air because that's what soundcheck is. You play for a couple minutes, you stop while adjustments are being made. It's one of those things where I can get the radio station wanting to do something exclusive like this, but there's a lot of dead air and there's a lot
0: of uh, just (laughs) stuff that's hard to decipher. At times. We have a track listing and it's like, you know, it's 34 songs, but it's maybe like 10 seconds of this, 20 seconds of that. Pretty funny. So he does like a Bruce Springsteen song. He does a Zeppelin song. And he'd be like, Bruce Springsteen, Bruce Springsteen just came here. And he just starts doing Born in the USA. He's like, Robert Plant, Robert Plant's in the house. Come on up, Robert. And they do Days and Confused for a minute, you know, and a little, little silliness like that. Clearly hamming it up for the radio. And you can hear at times they stop. And then, you know, it's, it's kind of interesting to hear. It's certainly a peek behind the curtain. Thankful that we didn't get 20 minutes of, okay, Lib, hit your first time.
1: Yeah. Okay, okay, okay. Okay, lib.
0: snare. Snare. Okay, okay, bass. And then the bass drum, like, they do the bass drum, like, forever. Yep. And you just got to sit there and play quarter notes and sing yeah. Iron Man. That's what I do. Every time I have to do, like, a bass sound check, it's like, boom. Boom, boom. And I'm just sitting there singing, <serpent sounds> like total Beavis and Butthead style. Yeah. I guess uh, I'll give a couple of my highlights. You give a couple of your highlights. Yeah. So, working kind of backwards, they're all covers except at the end, he does Allentown, My Life, Pressure and Keeping the Faith. But it's just pieces of it. I thought it was kind of interesting to hear because he's trying out the different sounds. They're clearly trying to get a level on the piano, clearly try to equalize things. And you realize two things when you hear something like this. Number one is how different one synthesizer or one piano sounds when it's not in harmony with the rest of the band. You know, and it's like it's just that real DX9 bell sound synth on its own. You're like, wow, that, that just sounds like a cheesy 80s Synth, but like really they're actually using it in conjunction with everything else. And two, just how much EQ makes a difference because at one point he's playing the piano, man. And you're like, that piano sounds like crap. And then clearly they dial it in. And no, speaking of crap, sense. he starts doing my life and he's like, he's he's just blah 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 in the lyrics and he goes, I hate that song. Right in the middle oh, of it. <laughs> that's so good. <laughs> nah, 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 nah.
2: I hate that song, no. that song, that song that.
1: Liberty is also one of his voices displeasure for that song I wonder if this is just a running thing throughout all the guys you know who played the song over the year. It sounds like they're not a big fan.
0: <laughs> he busts David Brown's hump a little because apparently David's not there yet. So when he's talking to the DJ, he's like David Brown's going to as usual is going to be late. I think he's still up in Boston. He
1: he must have come in from home because he lived in Massachusetts. Based from Massachusetts and my guess is Based on the context of that and a few other comments. You know, this was just after Christmas, December, so I'm guessing it was weather related. Or he's just
0: late. You know, maybe he's one of those guys. I'm giving him the benefit of the doubt. So, you wanna start this thing? Uh, you wanna just get some people going here? Or do you wanna talk for Christmas? What do you wanna do?
2: I, I don't think we're all here. We're not all here yet. As a matter of fact, David Brown, as usual, is gonna be late. He's probably listening in his car right now saying, oh, God. Now everybody knows. I think he's still up in Massachusetts somewhere.
0: And then we get some Crystal. We get Crystal singing some Aretha Franklin, which is really yep. really fun to hear. But did, did did you hear what he says though? Because they start Billy. I'm sorry, Billy starts playing what sounds like "You Make Me Feel Like a Natural Woman," and they're saying Aretha, Aretha's here. And then he goes, "The old band couldn't do that." <laughs> I know. Yeah.
1: I was like, ooh.
0: Ooh, shit! But then Crystal doesn't know Natural Woman, and they're like Aretha, the queen is slipping. And then she does the old song called Doctor Feelgood, and then they do Respect for a minute, and Crystal gets a little nice spotlight.
1: Not the Motley Crue song.
0: Right? Yeah, yeah.
2: Well, look who's here! It's Aretha Franklin. Here's something the old band couldn't do. Look it out! I don't know that one. You don't know that one? What's the one you do know? You mean you forgot that? Aretha, of... <laughs> slipping queen. Ooh, slipping queen. I'm my that in? I don't want nobody. How does that go? Gotta feel good. Always. <laughs> Sitting
0: around. highlight i had was uh they do some police and they do walking on the moon and uh crystal gets some nice congas going on that and lib is actually pretty close to stewart copeland's part and they're very different drummers so it was oh, funny yeah. to hear him do a really good stewart copeland impression
2: it's sting why sting came yes direct from the brazilian rainforest what's that thing in your lip there's a little black spot on the sun today. It's the same old thing as yesterday. There's a little black and a white. Right? Right? step I roll I tape. Walking on the moon. Gee, I hope my leg break. What? <laughs>
1: Caught that too, and Billy does a very good sting. His Springsteen left a lot to be desired. I think he was making that intentionally bad. <laughs> I think he could have gotten closer on Bruce if he wanted to, but I think he was really trying to be cheesy with that. Yeah, that's fair. It was really fun to hear Crystal singing. Going into some Bruce, you know, Crystal, one of her main gigs before
0: Billy was Bruce. On what, The Lucky Town and Human Touch?
1: Yeah, she was with Bruce in that band.
0: No, wait, now that came out afterwards. No. No. 89? I was still living in New ha- York.
1: Hang on. Let's find Telling out.
0: Was, she was with John Cougar Mellencamp.
1: Yeah, but she was also with Bruce. Let's see.
0: I believe she was with Bruce. I just think it was after this tour.
1: I'm finding out when because now I, I don't know.
0: I'll bet you one white label copy of Street Life Serenade that you have and I don't.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so she was out with Bruce after this. Right. Ah, She <laughs> was with
0: him in between Stormfront and River of Dreams. I wonder if she was on Saturday Night Live with Bruce when he did that And tour. you know who else was with Bruce? Zach Alford. Yeah, you're right. And I believe he was on Saturday Night Live when Bruce was on there.
1: Yeah, he does a little Dylan, some Lay Lady Lay. That was fun. Yeah, with the
0: sweet, sweet eighty saxophone on that.
1: I was kind of hoping he was going to riff on Still Rock and Roll to Me because he's talked about how that's the song he ripped off for it. <laughs> but he didn't go with that Oh, part. was it really? <laughs> yeah. That'd be yeah. Funny. The running jokes about David not being there you know and then he's like before they go into zeppelin they're like you know we we can do this song without guitar and he goes into a little bit of uh steve winwood doing higher love and it's like oh it's billy singing getting closer yeah <laughs> you know you realize that
0: getting closer is really him trying to sound like steve winwood with steve winwood on it you know that sort of that certainly helped <laughs>
1: Oh, he made up some alternate lyrics to Wild Side. That was pretty funny, Lou Reed. Oh, yeah. And then when he's doing Can't Help Falling In Love, the Elvis tune. He's like, David Brown. Hey, David. Oh, <laughs> false alarm. Made you look. <laughs> he does a quick little noodle on The Way It Is, Bruce Hornsby. And I was like, oh, I wish he would have gone further with that, because that would have been fun to hear. Other thing I noticed at the end here, oh, which I loved, when he's doing Keeping the Faith there at the end when they're doing mm-hmm. it, he starts singing Clean Up Woman, which is the song that inspired Keeping the Faith. I was wondering what that
0: was in the middle of it.
1: So the story goes, they're in the studio doing the Innocent Man record. And so Russell is playing the guitar riff Clean Up Woman by Betty Wright. And the band is kind of jamming around with it. And Billy digs it so much, he takes that riff concept, goes home and writes Keeping
0: the Faith. Have you heard that song before, Jack? No, I haven't heard about it. This is is a new one for me. And I'll be humble. I'll leave that in. I I won't edit out where I profess my ignorance. Hold it up real quick. I want you to hear the intro. Specifically, the guitar work. Oh, yeah, it's got that lead, that walk-up. Yep. And that's, um... A one a I can almost, like, hear the, the, the second snare drum hit off that, too. Yeah. Um... What the hell is that? It's not The Price is Right. It's, um... Shake.
1: Yeah. Otis Redding, Sam Cooke. So that's what inspired Keeping the Faith. Billy is singing a little bit of the lyric to that while they're jamming Keeping the Faith. So I thought that was pretty, pretty funny.
0: And that brings us through our little rehash of uh, 1989 and 1990. As always, we want to hear from you guys now. I want to know uh, if anybody else picked up this soundcheck bootleg off the retold page, what you guys thought of this, if anybody sat down and gave it a real good listen very interested to know what people thought of these videos from stormfront i really love to know if anyone happened to see them like on mtv like that was the first time they saw them just happened to come on and you were there because i didn't have cable back then i think i've mentioned before so i never had that experience of watching a video when it came out and you know were you in the camp that was an uber fan back
1: then who would just buy up anything you saw with his name on it and saw this in the store and said what is this and you know picked it up if i remember correctly you know since it was a pretty short video it was priced lower than a lot of the other things because it's only you know 25 minutes it's pretty short so mm. um yeah i'm curious what your experiences were with this and these videos it's pretty fascinating because the record comes out as billy turned 40 years old and mtv was always known as like the young hip music channel and billy was able to can't really reinvent himself, but repackage himself for a younger audience that embraced him so well. This album was so big with the younger generation that
0: wasn't there for the bridge. Yeah, he really managed to keep up with the times in a way that didn't make him look too goofy or too embarrassing. Wild, when you think about it, how different Billy
1: Joel was between the, the three records here. You know, you had the bridge, which was like the end of the era where... He was almost feeling like things were getting stale. And then you had Stormfront three years later, which was a hipper Billy with an edge a little bit, new band. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, four years later, it almost felt like, oh, Billy's getting too old for this, and this might be the end. A
0: lot changed in that time frame. So reach out. Let us know what you think. podcast at gmail.com. Find us on the socials, Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. No TikTok yet. Just search Glass Houses, a Billy Joe podcast, and we'll pop right up.
1: And I want to thank you all for these uh, ratings and reviews on Apple Podcasts and anywhere else that you're finding the podcast. Because I tell you what, it really helps out. If you haven't done it, you can just spend a couple of minutes and give us a five-star rating or a positive review. It really goes a long way in helping us continue to grow along with you and get in front of more people. Uh, we're having so much fun doing this, and... To see the uh, the growth that we're experiencing is just amazing.
0: And with that, we'll end with some stock footage of a storm. <laughs> we are not
1: ADR people, that's yeah, for right. sure. <laughs> we don't have the good mics. <laughs> All right, guys, see you soon. Thanks.
0: what was it